Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of the chapel at Pasadena. Our desire is to reflect the grace and truth of Jesus Christ to Los Angeles and the world, and one way we do this is by sharing God's Word through our weekly sermons. Here is today's message. Good morning. I'm absolutely honored and humbled to be with you this morning and to get a chance to share from God's Word. About four years ago, my wife and I went through a pretty acute crisis in our lives. And we were not expecting it. We did not anticipate it, but God knew that it was coming. Because about three years, or sorry, about three months before the crisis struck us, we started going to what was then Prism Church. I can't tell you how many times I've turned to my wife and said, what would we have done if God had not brought Pastor Chuck into our lives at the exact moment that he did? God knew what he needed, what we needed, and he blessed us through, through him. Now, some of you here have known Pastor Chuck longer than, than me, and some not as long, uh, but this morning we're all mourning together. Why do we meet together as a church? Uh, Since the the early days, since the early church began, the center of the meeting of God's people was always the, the preaching of God's word and the celebration of the sacraments. Our gathering together as a community to listen to and to be transformed by God's word is the center of our existence as God's people in this world. And we could come and listen to philosophies of men, wisdom and experience from trained speakers, and that would be valuable. There would be value in that. But what we have in God's word is not just a life philosophy, but a record interpreted for us of the actions of God in his world. And so every day, every day we need God's word. But when we come in particular to moments of crisis like this, like we are in now as a church, it is even more important that we understand it as God would communicate it to us. We as his people, together, you and I together, need to listen to God this morning, to have him interpret for us his world, to make known to us the meaning of his actions in history, what has happened in the past interpreted and what is coming in the future prophesied for us. This is what we gather together to do, to listen to God. Now I'm trembling before God this morning. I, I I'm aware of the the weight, the significance of my sermon this morning. I bear under this responsibility. I want to invite you to come with me to listen to God's word. I want to be for you and for myself a channel of the love, mercy, and kindness of God to us. 
We must understand our grief this morning, friends, as God would have us understand it. So would you stand with me this morning? We are going to read God's word together. I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I apologize, I'll be reading from the NIV. You have printed the ESV, uh, but it's pretty similar. A reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep or to mourn like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, those who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We pray briefly. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to speak. In this matter, more acutely than any other, the death of those that we love, we need your word to explain it to us, that we may understand it as you would have us understand it. I pray that we would not seek to inquire beyond the bounds of what you have informed us in your word. That we would be content with it. We would understand it. May the Spirit be present through me as I speak. I, I need it, Lord. Bless each heart here, those that are listening at home. Be with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing we notice in our text is right in that, in that first verse. We do not want you to be uninformed. Paul, in a message to the Thessalonican church, the church in Thessalonica, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed about those that have fallen asleep. Now, fallen asleep, of course, is a, a euphemism very common in, in, in the letters of Paul uh, for those that have died, died in the Lord. His view uh, of the death of God's people was that it was, it was this a temporary experience, a transition into a new life that was coming uh, when they would wake up again. And so he used this euphemism to fall asleep. Now Paul is concerned. He's probably heard something about the Thessalonians. Maybe they're um, being influenced by the uh, philosophical and religious assumptions of the culture that they're in. Uh, and it's affecting the way that they think about death and those that have died. It may be that uh, there was a misunderstanding in these early days in the church that the return of Christ was so soon, so imminent, that to die would be to miss the return of Christ. We don't know every, all the details. It's just an assumption we, we, we can make. But Paul is very eager that the church not be uninformed 
about what happens to those who die. And so we should learn ourselves. We need to be informed. We need to know what God has communicated to us about those that die because we too are in danger of misinterpreting the nature of death in this world. This is true even for us who have like perfect doctrine, who know all the right theology because death brings into our lives an acute emotional experience which can overcome perhaps the, the, the knowledge or doctrine that we have in our heads. So we, we want you this morning, friends, not to be uninformed about those that have fallen asleep. We also don't want you to mourn like the rest of men. <clears throat> now we should understand this statement really carefully. Paul says, we do not want you to mourn like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, Paul does not say, we want you to be able to understand the exact reasons for every single death that you will experience in this life. He does not say, we want you to be able to explain to yourself why God has done what he has done in taking the people that he takes and when he takes them. So our understanding of death as it's revealed in the scriptures can sit side by side with our confusion and the difficulty we have in understanding why God has done the things that he does. But also says, uh, sorry, it also does not say that Paul does not want us to mourn at all. Mourning is a natural inevitable part of loving people. If we love people, if we have friendships, if we have family, if we live in a world of community, then when death hits, we will mourn. We mourn for two reasons, friends. We, we, practically speaking, we mourn because a person who was in our lives will never again be there. The friend that we once had is gone forever. Never again will we hear his voice. Never again will we see life animate his face. As long as we are on this earthly pilgrimage, we will experience no more the joy of companionship with that person. If we love them, then we will mourn their absence. But then also, furthermore, we mourn because of what death communicates to us. We have, deep down inside, a conviction and an awareness that in the good world that God has created, death is an alien, foreign force. If God made things good, Death is somehow an interruption of the plans God has for the world. Paul sometimes phrases it that, uh, that the entire created world that God has made is groaning, and that we also groan alongside it. This groaning is the experience of something that is disordered in the created existence that we come face to face 
with an evil that is inescapable. And we mourn because the world has pain, sorrow, and suffering in it. A pain, sorrow, and suffering that we cannot escape. Therefore, mourning is natural and appropriate. We can and should mourn when we lose those that we love. If you have any, any question or doubt about this, the gospel writers have provided for us in the life of Jesus Christ an example of mourning in the face of death. Our Lord and Savior, when his friend died, Jesus had friends. One of them died, and he wept. And he wept. Now, he knew that he shortly was going to raise that person from the dead. He knew that he had power over death. And yet our Lord, when confronted with the reality of the effect that death has in our world, he mourned. So we mourn because we love those that we lose. We miss them. And we realize at the deepest level that something has gone wrong in the world, that death is present in it. It's appropriate to mourn. But that being said, where passion and emotion run the deepest, there there is the greatest capacity and danger because of human sin. To mourn is a profound emotional experience. And so it too can be, be taken away from the ends that God sets for it by the sin that still exists in us. That is the purpose of this warning that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians. We do not want you to mourn like the rest of men who have no hope. There is a fundamental qualitative difference between the type of mourning that exists in the world around us that men who do not know our Savior Jesus Christ experience and the type of mourning that God calls us to as his people. We do not want you to mourn like the rest of men who have no hope. There is a mourning that is absent hope and there is a mourning that is transformed and filled by hope. This is what Paul wants us to understand. You see, no man can escape the awareness of death. Every man deep down inside, simply by being uh, created by God and existing in rebellion to God, is aware, as, as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, that every man is appointed to die once and after that to face judgment. And so men in the world, they have two options when confronting the death that awaits them and mourning those around them that have died. The first option is that they can face it honestly, aware that after death there is only the fearful expectation of wrath. They can suppress that too and meet death with the expectation of the horror of non-existence. This is the atheistic, atheistic approach to death, to meet death with despair. But they can also perhaps create out of their own mind some 
imaginary future after death? Something to comfort them? Some idle hope? They can invent perhaps some sort of system to live by in this life that will somehow satisfy whoever rules the next life so they can be safe when they die? Those are the options that confront men in the world. Despair or an idle and empty hope that is destined to disappoint them when they come face to face with the real thing. This is present in all the platitudes surrounding death that you see. Perhaps that we even are, are prone to. Unless we think seriously about what God communicates to us about the nature of our hope. We are not like the rest of men. We are not like them. Because we have hope. Hope transforms our understanding of death at every point. It does not, it's, it's not like this cheerful feeling that does away with your mourning, but hope suffuses your mourning with an inexpressible joy that sits side by side with it. That is the sort of joy that meets us in our sorrow and sufferings. It is not inconsistent with our sadness and our tears but it fills them. First Corinthians 15, Paul says this. Jesus Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is God's enemy the purpose of God's redemptive plan in the world was the defeat and overthrow of death. And for the Christian, God has accomplished by some inexpressible means, some inexplicable way, the transformation of death. Let me take an example from the life of our, of our friend Chuck. Anyone that... Um, Anyone that ever met Chuck, I think, or spent time with him, knew that he was a man with flaws. Now, I, I don't say that because Pastor Chuck was like more sinful than anyone else. I mean, he was probably more sinful than some people, but less sinful than others. But Chuck wore his flaws openly on the outside. God had taught him through his, his pilgrimage together with God, the nature of his flaws, he knew them. And so when you spent time around, around Chuck, what, what you experienced from him was the disarming nature of his openness and honesty about his own failures. And through that, you were encouraged, encouraged by the presence of God's grace in his life and by what that communicated to you about yourself. I was encouraged to hide my flaws less, to hide my sin less. What God did in the life of, of our friend and pastor Chuck, by some strange alchemy, 
was to transform the greatest flaws in his life into points of strength and blessing for others. Do you see that transformative work? The work of God's grace in his world? And this, friends, this is what God has done with death. Death, our enemy. Death, which spoke to us only despair and judgment, has been so transformed by God. Its evil is not removed. Death is still an enemy which must be destroyed. And in the world that is to come, there will be no death. And yet Paul can say in Philippians that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Death transformed from an enemy to an old friend that is translating you into the presence of God, that is finally removing from you for all time the sin and weaknesses that plague your life. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. For as death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who have fallen asleep in him. How fitting is it that the final sermon that our brother preached was an Easter sermon, the very message that we need to hear to interpret rightly what has happened to Pastor Chuck. He spoke to us in his final time here in the pulpit. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, an event in history, proclaimed to us, interpreted for us in God's word, in which the sting of death, which is sin, was removed for all time. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. The punishment that was awaiting us in the judgment removed. We are justified, made right, made righteous. And in his resurrection from the dead, he initiated a process of restoration of all creation that will one day come to fruition when we look up into the sky and see our Savior. Those that are dead will be raised again. And those that are still left will be transformed. What is mortal will clothe itself with immortality. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. We do not want you to be uninformed about those that have fallen asleep or to mourn like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We will be raised again. Our friend and pastor has finally achieved the dearest hope of his heart to be free from the power and effect of his sin, which he knew so well. This is how we interpret it. This is what we must know. It removes not the pain and sorrow. It does not take away the loss that we experience as those that pilgrimage again, still pilgrimage here on earth. 
it is terrible to me that I will never speak to him again. But I know. Because we are not uninformed about those that have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus Christ that we look back upon is in our future. Final words of this passage. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Friends, we are a church. We are God's people. We know these things are true. We know the hope that we have. Therefore, let us encourage each other with these words. We will see him again in the next life. We will be raised again. We will be in a place where death is banished forevermore, where there is no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no disease. A place where we will be with the Lord forever. This is the interpretation that the word gives us for his death and for our own. Thank you for listening to the weekly teaching podcast of the chapel at Pasadena. We are a church on a mission to revive believers, reach friends, and reflect Christ. If you would like more information about our church, visit www.chapelpasadena.com or email us at info at chapelpasadena.com.